Okay, good afternoon. <laughs> Come on, be a cheerful audience. Good afternoon. Fantastic. Um, thanks for coming. My name's Patrick, and uh, it's good to see you. Um, how many of you got washed out last night? Was it was it pretty bad? I'm pretty sorry. I turned. We drove up from London last night, and it was absolutely mental on the motorways. So. I was feeling for you guys, but um, thank you so much for coming. Um, I work for a, pro a pro program called XLP. Anyone heard of XLP? Just a few people, a couple of people, that's good. And uh, we work in inner city London, week in, week out, working with um, very, very broken young people in their families, um, mentoring kids on the verge of exclusion. We've got two double-decker buses that travel onto estates. We've got schools projects, um, arts projects. And the whole thing really is a little bit around what I want to try and talk to you guys about today is about communicating and demonstrating the love of God and uh, so um, it's something we've been doing now for the last 16 years I started it 16 years ago and uh, it's challenging and uh, it's amazing and absolutely heartbreaking uh, at the same time and uh, so if you do want to find out more do go to the stand um, we hold open days for anyone that's interested in this type of work which is really unconference like in you know you come and hang out on our bus and hang out on the estates and just see the sort of thing we do hopefully just with a bit of uh, on our part we just want to try and give away what we've learned so people can start other things uh, across the country as well um, so you may be interested in that and just have a couple of quick things we run a gap year between anyone between the ages of 18 and 100 um, Soul Survivor have been very good about promoting that for us over the last couple of years loads of guys have come from Soul Survivor we just had our graduation um, a couple of weeks ago and the stories were so incredibly moving actually the students lives that have been completely changed by stepping out of their comfort zone was incredible um, and then these are the books I've written Fighting Chance which is all um, written with young people so every third chapter is a story chapter of a young person who's either in the gang on the edge of a gang or is um, uh, uh, trying to get out so incredibly uh, moving and gritty um, Conspiracy the Insignificant was the story of how I started XLP and all the mistakes that I made which were many and uh, No Scenes of Hope is my newest one and I guess it's more around the theology of XLP and there's a DVD that goes alongside it for small groups and, uh, and that really, I really wanted to do something that was very real, very honest uh, I think part of the challenge I have is I've been to some incredibly poor countries across the world and seen some crazy things and tried to impart hope and passion into people's lives but it's quite hard when you do that actually to have hope for your own life as well and uh, so it's a very honest book and very honest story of how do you find hope when you're just trying to give hope to everyone else um, so maybe you guys can check that out um, but whenever I speak, I just believe in being really honest. I hope that doesn't get me into too much trouble. It does occasionally. Um, but what I love about um, working with young people is that they're quite, let's just say it how it is. Um, I remember hearing a story of an RE teacher, and I, I don't know what it is about RE teachers, but they seem to be born-again Christians or atheists. <laughs> I have no idea why that is. And uh, there's one story of an RE teacher. He was telling the story of Jonah, and he was saying, the story of Jonah is a myth. It's made up. It's just there to teach us stuff. And uh, this kid, very Pentecostal kid, went, Excuse me, sir. Excuse me, sir. The story of Jonah's not a myth. It's not made up. It's not just there to teach us stuff. All right? <laughs> and the teacher's like, Well, it is. It's a myth. And he went, No. Nah. And he goes, Well, how are you going to know? He goes, Well, one day, sir, I'm going to go to heaven. I'm going to find Jonah. I'm going to ask him, Did you get swallowed by a whale? And the teacher's like, Wow. Well, ah. What happens if Jonah went to hell? And the kid was like, that's easy, sir. In that case, why don't you ask him? <laughs> so, 
just tend to say how it is. That's what I reckon. And, uh, but I want to look and at this topic over the next two days. Um, today I want to look at saying the good news. Um, and tomorrow morning, if you're around, I want to look at doing the good news. Um, I did a series a couple of months ago, and I called it Be, Say, Do. I haven't got time to do B. <laughs> but B was being present to God. Say was saying the good news, and Do was doing the good news. In terms of having something holistic. And, uh, but whenever you talk about communicating the gospel, it's really funny, isn't it? We come up with all sorts of little cringy stereotypes. And I thought, in preparing this seminar, I would just Google um, uh, you know, evangelism into YouTube and see what comes up. And uh, this is what's come up. This is what some people think sharing the good news is all about. Interesting. When I showed my PA that, she went, you can't show that. It's too near the mark. And I, I didn't know whether to be, find it funny or sad, to be honest, because sometimes it is actually too near the mark. I mean, it's a bit sad that it is. But I just want to ask you a question straight away. And maybe just with the person beside you or into a small group. Um, tell us, how was the gospel explained to you? In other words, what was it about the gospel? Was it sort of turn or burn, or was it a sort of like the story of Jesus? What, what was it? What was communicated to you? And the second question I'd just like you to think about is how did you hear about the gospel? How did you hear about the story of Jesus? Just, just turn into groups just quickly and uh, just discuss that. That would be great. Fantastic. Make sure no one's left out. Make sure, just have a look around. Make sure everyone's in a group. Be nice, welcoming Christians. Is everyone in a group? Okay, let's come back together. Um, how is the gospel explained to you? Anyone, anyone brave enough to tell us? How is the gospel explained to you? Great, thanks so much. Anyone? Yes, gentlemen at the back. Human gave me his testament, how he'd been in the forces. Um, and he told me how that Jesus had uh, forgiven him and made him a new person. And that uh, when he was in the barracks, he would kneel down and they would all throw their shoes at him. Yeah. And then he invited me into this youth meeting. Yeah. Uh, no, 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 not for me. But uh, I went in. He said, well, what if he crossed the road tonight? That was right. And he got knocked down. Well, every night I used to pray under my bedclothes. Our Father, which art in heaven and so on. And then I'd say, but, oh God, don't let me die tonight. And uh, so that frightened me. So I said, well, I don't have to cross any roads. So, uh, anyhow, he persuaded me going, and I heard these young people talking about Jesus, and he talked about the grace of God and salvation. I had no idea what they were talking about. Grace and salvation? No, matter. I was only 16, but uh, I went the week later, and that week there was about a thousand people in the service, and the man said, who would like to give their lives to Christ at the age of 16? He went for it. 76 now. 76? Yeah, 60 years. 60 oh, years. Well, wow, that's great. Fantastic. Well done. Great. So one was he was scared of getting knocked down by a car, and two it was through a friend and then at a, at a big meeting. Okay, anyone else? Anyone else? Got any ideas? You're very very shy. How about you, mate? Um, how the gospel was explained to me? Yeah. Um, it was just explained to me. Well, I grew up in a Christian home, um, but throughout it was just explained to me as Jesus going around ministering and seeking the lost. And just loving people. Great. And where are you from? California. California. You sort of gave it away a little bit. <laughs> it's nice. Fantastic. Well, it's interesting. When you ask the, that question, there's ways which the gospel is explained to. There's a few um, 
images coming up here. Was it this? I remember the gospel tract. Does anyone remember the gospel tract? Um, there you have Satan there. Listen, don't believe any of this. Keep partying. You'll never regret it. Trust me. And then you've got trendy Christian there. Stop believing Satan's lies. Oh, no, those things are just... Trust Christ today. And then you had all these sort of warnings about going to hell. These tracks were sort of the business when I was growing up. Um, where are you going? Do you know? Question mark. Next one um, was this guy. Um, this is way before your time. This guy called Hale Lindsay. Um, he had this theology where basically the whole earth is going to get destroyed any moment. So you need to repent pretty quickly and get your life sorted. And he bought these books that sold thousands um, in the Christian world. Um, Countdown to Armageddon. Um, the next one was a series of books again probably seen these these are a bit more modern left behind series this is again um you could probably buy those in the um soul survivor bookshop in fact um and this was a theology that basically says that um all the good guys are going to get raptured um out um into heaven and all the bad guys will be left behind and you need to make sure that you're in the rapture and they do have some interesting ideas in terms of you know you could be on a plane and half the plane gets raptured out and then the rest of you are sort of wondering what's going on and, and that was really really common and the gospel is explained that way and still is in many places and then you got into the christian t-shirts the eternal burn t-shirts have you seen those in fact you could get eternal burn baby grove i mean what person would stick their baby in eternal burn baby grove for heaven's sake and that was very much when i grew up the sort of message that i would get from the front of church and uh, that the gospel was very much warnings against hell warnings against judgment and uh, and we would try and persuade people into the kingdom yet when you read the new testament there isn't anyone who tended to do that. And, uh, and I remember evangelism was going out and telling people that they were going to hell. Now the challenge is, what is the gospel? The gospel is the story of Jesus. And what we've done, I think, is we've made the gospel simply personal salvation, which is about just getting into heaven. Our butt into heaven and we're okay, thank you very much. Now don't get me wrong, personal salvation is an absolute crucial thing and it's amazing when thousands or hundreds of people become Christians at things like soul survival. But the gospel is actually the story of Jesus. And the story of Jesus is so much more compelling. And when you start telling people the story of Jesus, start telling the sort of things that Jesus was into and what he was passionate about, actually, people are more likely to listen to that sometimes. And uh, I think we're missing the point if all we concentrate on is the story of salvation, as important as it is. I want to show you another video clip. This is a lady. Um, she's just bought her granddad an iPad. This is what happens. It's in German on the way, but it doesn't matter. You see, you can use an iPad for that. An iPad is fine. You can use the iPad for that. That's not a problem. It fulfills the function, but you're not getting the best out of that iPad. That iPad could do so many incredible things. And actually, sometimes I think it's the same with the gospel. You know, it's true. It does that. But we are missing out on actually what the gospel is all about. Karma Deiris, um, who's one of my favorite authors, says this. The gospel is not an idea. It's not a belief. It's not a favorite verse. The gospel does not live in your church. It cannot be written down in a simple message. It's not the sinner's prayer. The gospel is not a what. It is a how. The gospel is a who. It's not a how. It, the gospel is a who. The gospel is literally the good news of Jesus. Jesus is the gospel. It's the story. And so you could ask the question, you know, how many gospels are there? Everyone says four. No, there isn't. There's one gospel. 
the gospel according to Matthew, the gospel according to Mark, the gospel according to Luke, the gospel according to John. There is one. And it's getting to know the story. It's a bit like having a box set. Um, I don't know if you, uh, you know, you're into box sets. Who here is into box sets? Um, box sets are addictive, aren't they? Because I don't know if you're like me. You get a box set out and then you watch one and you look at the time. It's at half past 11 and you think... I've got time to get one more in. I can do it. I can do one more. I'm sure, I can just do one more in because you just want to see. And then you get the end of that one. You're like, no, I can do another one. It doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. I've got to get up. Early. I could do one more. And you get engrossed in the story. But just imagine you got that box set out and you got, you know, West Wing. I don't know what ever, you know, series seven, um, episode two. You watch ten minutes of it. And then you go, nah, nah, I'm going to put that away now. And then you go to series two, episode 10, and then you watch 10 minutes of that. And then you skip forward to um, series 10, you know, um, episode four. No one would do that, would they? No one would do that at all. Yet so often, that's the way we treat the story. It's like Homeland. Anyone seen Homeland? And I made the mistake of Homeland of starting to watch series two on television because all my friends said to me, you've got to watch series one first. And I was like, what do they know? They don't know nothing. Of course, I can, I'm intelligent. I can catch. I didn't have a clue what was going on. <laughs> I went back and bought series one again because it's about the story. The gospel is the story of Jesus. And it's interesting that Jesus never defined himself by the things that he was against. Have you noticed that? When all the disciples come back and uh, Jesus says, well, who do people say I am then? And he says, well, it's easy, Jesus. They say you're the ones against the Romans, you're against the Samaritans, you're against the barbarians, and you're against the French. I don't know if I said French, but I just had to put that in there. You're against all these things. Defining someone by their opposition to something is ridiculous. It's like labelling a football team against all their rivals. You know, today we're going to watch a team who hate Arsenal, hate West Ham, who hate Chelsea, beat Manchester United at Old Trafford. Today we're going to watch Tottenham. Come on. You just wouldn't do that, would you? But the challenge is, is when we come to communicating the gospel, the story of Jesus, so often we start with hell and Dalmatian, and then we wonder why people get the hump of us. Christians are perceived in very interesting ways. Check this next clip out. Interesting. I typed in the word um, Christians in Google and did images. And uh, this is some of the images that came up just really, really quickly. There are images of people praying. There was the cross. There was, um, that says, Christians, we aren't perfect. We're just better than you. Um, there were big churches, more big churches. There was a book that said the qu questions Christians hope no one will ask. Um, go back to that one, Matt. It's just interesting. Um, why should I believe in heaven and hell exists? Why do we condemn homosexuals? Why are Christians so judgmental? Why trust the Bible? It's full of myths. How could a good God allow so much suffering? Next photo um, was a picture of Denzel Washington. Um, obviously, he's an all-known Christian. The Pope, which I would expect. Um, and there was one around bumper stickers. I wouldn't worry about all this yelling and swearing if I were you. They'll know we are Christians by our bumper stickers. And the last one, turn to Jesus, study the Bible. And uh, so it's interesting, isn't it? Like, I mean, that was like, you could do that today. Um, but so it's interesting, the perception that people have of Christianity. There's an author called Donard, Donard Miller. You've probably heard of him. He wrote a book called Blue Like Jazz. He, in, in his book, he said this. Um, he was doing a radio interview, and he said... He asked me if I was a Christian, and I told him yes. Then why don't you defend Christianity, he asked, confused. I told him that I no longer knew what that term meant. Of the hundreds of thousands of people listening to this, some of them had terrible experiences of Christianity. They'd been yelled at by a teacher in a Christian school, abused by a minister, or brown-breaten by a Christian parent. To them, the term Christianity meant to some, something that no Christian 
I know would defend. By fortifying the term, I'm not only making them more and more angry, I just won't do it. Stop ten people on the street and ask them what they think of when they hear the word Christianity and they'll give you ten different reasons. How can I defend a term that means ten different things to ten different people? I told the radio show host I'd rather talk about Jesus and how, and how I can, came to believe that Jesus exists and that he likes me. The host looked at me with tears in his eyes. When we're done, he said, can we get lunch together? He told me that he didn't really like Christianity, but he wanted to believe that Jesus was the Son of God. It's quite interesting. I know it's quite provocative as well before you all start having a little, um, getting your heckles up at me. But there is a reality here that maybe we need to stop defending Christianity and talk more about Jesus. And uh, it's interesting, if we took the words of John 12, verse 32, it says, you know, when it says, if Jesus was lifted high and up, then he would draw people to himself. And it's an old question to ask, but it's an obvious question. If Jesus was alive today, where would he be hanging out? <laughs> what would he be doing? So I want to start to um, provoke us to thinking maybe in a slightly different way. Um, let me read you some verses from Free Peter, because I think when it comes to communicating the gospel, this is what it's all about for me. This is um, Free Pe 1 Peter 3, verse 8. It says this, Sum it up. Be agreeable. Be sympathetic. Be loving. Be compassionate. Be humble. That goes for all of you. No exceptions. No retaliation. No sharp-tongued sarcasm. Instead, bless. That's your job, to bless. You'll be a blessing and also you'll get a blessing. Whoever wants to embrace life and see the day fill up with good, here's what you do. Say nothing evil or hurtful. Snub evil, cultivate good, run after peace for all it's worth. God looks on this with his approval, listening and responding well to what he's asked. But he turns his back on those evil things. You see, Peter is basically talking about hope. And Peter is saying that, you know, it's not just about what we say, it's about our story. So it's not about apologetics, it's about authenticity, it's about being authentic. And in this passage, in the, another, in the NIV, it says, be ready to explain. As you live out, be ready to explain. In other words, live your life in a way that people will ask you why you live it in a certain way. So if people don't ask you about being a Christianity, live it in a way which means they're going to ask you about the gospel. They're going to ask you about things. We are so quick to talk. In fact, I read a survey that said that in the average day, the average bloke will say 30,000 words a day. I don't know if you know that. The average female, apparently 50,000 words, but I won't even go there. But the thing is, our lives shout at people. You know, I live in Peckham, and uh, I remember one day um, I was in Peckham Pulse, which is the leisure centre, and it's got to be the slowest leisure centre on planet Earth, you know. And, uh, and I was thinking about this. I was thinking about the fact that our lives are loud, and we've got to live in a way that people ask us. Because in XLP, that happens to us all the time. Why on Earth are you living on that estate? Why on Earth are you hanging out with those kids that everyone else has given up on? Why on Earth would you do this sort of thing for 16 years? It's, actually, it's a question I ask myself quite a lot as well. And, uh, but I, I was all thinking about this, and I was so late in this queue, I just let the receptionist have it. You know, I told her this was inefficient. I've got screaming kids here, and oh, I just let rip at this woman. And then I went away, and I just felt so bad. And I thought, now this is embarrassing. I've got to go back to that woman. I've got to queue up again. She's going to see me in the queue thinking, oh no, here comes like psycho man. And, uh, and I'm going to have to say sorry. And uh, because that isn't living the gospel. 
if our words and our behaviour are out of sync, then we have issues. And sometimes that's the issue, people issues, you know, that they can't believe that we say one thing and we live something else. So what we've got to understand is what's it mean to infuse together everything we do and everything we say. There's a story that if you've heard me speak before, you may have heard me say this before, um, of a couple that went door knocking. There's one bloke who went door knocking. Anyone done door knocking? I enjoy door knocking like a hole in the head, I have to be honest. Um, and this guy went door knocking and he was right at the top of this tower block, knocked on the door and uh, this woman came to the door and she was smoking cigarettes and she had a baby under one arm, they had babies in the background screaming and he basically said, um, hello, I'm here to tell you about Jesus. And she basically got the door and she slammed it in his face. What did that guy do wrong? I mean, he was trying to proclaim Jesus, you know. And if she'd let him, he would have told her that she was going to hell and uh, that she needed to repent and, uh, and her sins would be forgiven. But she slammed the door in his face. So he basically went down and he sat down on the curb and he just said, God, don't get it. I'm trying to be obedient. And I believe he was trying to be sincere. And he felt God say to him, go across the road, go to that shop. Buy some nappies and buy some cigarettes. I'm not sure about the theology of this story. I apologise for this. And uh, so he went and he got a massive bag of nappies and he got some cigarettes and he went back, knocked on the door and went, excuse me, I'm here to apologise for my behaviour. Um, these nappies are for you. Well, not you because you're a grown woman, but, but they're for your baby. And these cigarettes are for you. And she said, come in. And she, he said, it was amazing. All afternoon, they smoked cigarettes and changed nappies. It was fantastic. And at the end of it, she said to him, would you pray for me that I'd get out of this hellhole? And he communicated something of the heart and the compassion of Jesus. And you know, 70% of times we get to share the gospel is actually when people start bringing questions to us. But yet we find it so hard, don't we? Alison Morgan, there's a quote here which I think is interesting. She says this, We live in a culture that dents and knocks our confidence as Christians. Does this stuff really work? Is probably the question to which most ordinary Christians in this country would like to hear a convincing answer. So perhaps part of the answer is, is actually realising our own journey with Christ. Um, Alison goes on, the next slide, she says, We can answer through experience. It's changed me, let it change you. We each have our own story to tell, and it's important that we tell it. The good news is not just something we believe, but something we live. It changes us, and therein lies its power, its attractiveness, its uniqueness. I remember um, my wife used to work in the city, and, uh, and I remember I had to go to this posh work do, and I was sat next to this partner for the whole evening. And of course, you know, he says, so what do you do? And so I explained to him what I did. And then it comes to the question, why do you do it? And uh, so then he finds out I'm a Christian. And then we go for the next two hours into full-blown apologetic war. We did why God allows suffering. We did who made God. We did, you know, all the questions that you've ever asked. We battered it out. I came up with my best theological answers. I knocked back his um, stupid atheism right back into touch. And I after two hours, I realised I'd got absolutely nowhere. We were both more convinced than we'd ever been. And then I said to him, you know what, can I just tell you my story a little bit? And uh, when I was a kid, I nearly died. And I went into hospital, I was in special care. Um, in fact, my brother had the same condition, he did die. And, uh, and I didn't know what was going on, but my mum and dad, they got these Christians around. And uh, they prayed for it. And I just went into my story. And you know what? 
he didn't know what to say because it was more powerful than trying to argue people. And uh, I love this quote. It's my favourite quote at the moment. It's what the world longs for from the Christian faith is the witness of men and women daring enough to be different, humble enough to make mistakes, wild enough to be burnt in the fire of love and real enough to make others see how unreal they are. So we talk about a cross that's personal to us. What does it mean for you to bring your burdens to the cross? Can you explain that to people? What does it mean to say that Christ is risen? For some of us, and we say, well, you know what, my story's boring. Um, I'm surrounded with people who have dramatic stories at XLP. You know, I've got people that work for me who've been ex-gang guys, have been involved in that lifestyle, who've lived in poverty, who've come from dysfunctional families, who've struggled addiction. And sometimes I think to myself, you know, I wish I'd actually taken a, you know, thinking maybe I will take a bit of drugs now and again because that would make my life a little bit more exciting and then I've got a story to tell, you know. Have you ever felt like that? You know, you feel like I just need to spice it up a little bit. But then I realise, actually our story is about how faith informs my value and my behaviour and the way I relate to others and my worldview. And it's getting to know that Jesus was all about values. He was all about the way you treated people. It's interesting, in Mark's Gospel it says this, Jesus is either going to a meal, at a meal, or coming from a meal. In fact, Jesus earned a title called Friend of Sinners. Today I feel like the church is Friend of Meetings. For God so loved the world, he sent a committee. He was known as Friend of Sinners. Friend of Sinners means that actually he was their mate. He hung out with them. Um, It wasn't like occasional acquaintance, it wasn't a mission project, it wasn't a one-week wonder where we go and we go and help the sinners. Um, They were their mates, he was friends of them, he used to have meals with them. So when we think of it like this, it means we don't become salespeople for Jesus. We offer to pray for people out of a genuine friendship and desire to see them change. So maybe personal evangelism becomes more like this. It becomes an invitation to a journey, a link in the chain, a challenge to know and tell your story, an integration of word and actions, an expression of dialogue. It's grounded in listening and it's a kingdom operation. The way Jesus communicated sounds, doesn't sound like a pre-recorded, manipulative script where we're trying to sell something. I've got a mate, um, he went into a university and he did a, um, what's called Gorilla Christian. I don't know if you've ever been part of these sort of things, it's absolutely terrifying. It's where anyone in the audience can ask anyone uh, a question about Christianity and, and you get all the sort of normal questions. And uh, the pastor said to him, I'm really glad... They've let us in after what happened last time. And he was like, well, what do you mean what happened last time? He said, well, last time, um, the first question was, what's the Christian view on abortion? Um, by a young girl at the back. And, uh, and that girl had had an abortion. And the pastor didn't know this, so he described to this young girl that uh, abortion is murder, it's killing your child. She goes back to her room and she tries to hang herself because she felt that guilty and that condemned. And uh, so he goes, I hope that doesn't happen this time, you know. And, uh, and he was like, thanks ever so much, you know, not, no time to change it. So he turns up and we're in this bar in this university and he goes, um, the God Squad's here. Anyone got a question? Girl at the back puts her hand up, different girl says, what's the Christian view on abortion? Get to hear a pin drop. And my mate, he did something I thought was incredibly sensible. He knelt on the floor and he said this, I am sorry 
I am here to apologise for all the times when people like me have been more bothered about dogma and position than loving people the way Jesus did. Christians can be wonderful people, but sometimes we can be incredibly unkind in the way we relate and communicate. It's ironic when you look at the example of our founder. Guy over there started to clap. Another guy over there started to clap. They didn't clap for long, but they started to clap. But you see, in John 1, it talks about Jesus came with grace and truth. And they combined in the person of Jesus. He was the best people person there was. And sometimes in XLP, one criticism that really does bug me um, is, oh, you guys, are you all about social action? You don't care about the, um, the work of Jesus. Utter rubbish. Every single Monday, my staff meet, and I hear stories about them visiting people in prison and praying for them. I hear about stories where they're um, sharing their faith on buses. I hear stories where they're running Christian unions. I hear stories where they're praying for a parent who might just slit their wrist because they can't cope with life. But because it isn't warning them against hell, I'm forcing a, a decision on them, we say it's not the gospel. The gospel is the story of Jesus. The gospel has something to say. If we think the gospel is only about um, the, when the person asks the question, how do I get to heaven, then we do nothing until that person asks that question. But the gospel has something to say to the kid that's being bullied in a school. The gospel has something to say to the couple that's just split up and their kid doesn't know which parent to go to. The gospel has something to say to someone that's just flunked their exams. The gospel has something to say that's hungry because his mum's working multiple jobs and they're still not bringing enough money in to eat. The gospel has something to say in those situations because Jesus' worldview is he came to bring a new way of living. And so I don't believe that at the end of time, earth's just going to be kicked into touch and uh, God's going to go, well, that's a waste of time. I believe as I read scripture that God talks about creating a new heaven and a new earth where everything gets transformed. And we get to play our part in that, which makes communicating the gospel far more exciting than just telling people they go to hell. Far more exciting. And it belongs not only to our personal invitations and our personal lives, it belongs in the public space as well. I believe we should be communicating it to our culture. A couple of questions for you. Think about this. You can believe what you want as long as you don't force it on others. Who's heard someone ever say that to you? What do people think of that? Any ideas? What would you say to someone who says that? They're forcing, their on you. They're forcing your opinions on you. Yeah. Any other ideas? I'm sorry, I know you didn't expect to use your brain in this seminar. <laughs> it's a bit much, really. Yeah. So actually, that's, that's a really good point. You can't force it on others. Um, that's often how it's perceived by people, isn't it? That's a really good point. Thanks for that. Any other ideas? What you would say to someone who said that? How about this one then? Um, my faith is a private matter, just about me and my faith. What would you say to someone who says that? I've heard that a million times over as well. Any ideas? Is your faith just a private matter? We kind of have a missionary God, so no, it can't be private. Yeah, I'm getting into this now, I can tell. Yeah. Um, even if your faith isn't that you're not going to go and like go and tell people about Jesus. You can answer questions if people know you're a Christian, even if they don't know about your journey. So, yeah, okay, you don't go and say to everyone, yeah, I'm a follower of Jesus, but if they ask you, then be honest with them. So, yeah. Great, fantastic. Anyone agree with that, that five, we should just keep our faith to ourselves? It's a private matter. There's no...
anyone want to say, uh, be brave? <laughs> okay, well it's interesting, isn't it? So how do we communicate the gospel to our culture? Uh, when I was a kid, it was very much, I remember going to hear Billy Graham, um, Louis Palau, um, all those sorts of guys, and uh, you know they would often do these big crusades. I mean, an interesting question is, do you think that would work today? Maybe just in twos, just ask yourself the question, would that work today? Billy Graham, Big Crusades, would it work today? Everyone know who Billy Graham is? Yeah? So Billy Graham, Billy Graham, I just realised that some people might not know. So Billy Graham um, is still alive today, but he has probably communicated the gospel to more people um, through massive crusades and TV channels and stuff. He's, I mean, I think he's an amazing guy. And uh, so... But um, so I'm not saying I'm just being a little bit provocative here to try and get you guys to think. So um, so he's an amazing communicator. Um, yeah, but would it work today if we if he hired Wembley Stadium or would you guys think? Carry on talking. <laughs> okay, put your hands up if you think it would work today. Still work today? Yeah. Hey mate. Hi. Yeah, I think um, we were just discussing that um, it, I, go, I guess a lot of it depends on us, uh, it depends on Christians, but I believe that, ironically, that people used to go, used to go there en masse, with, then they would take one of their friends, whether they told them what they were going to or not, it's another matter. You get that from, from here, don't you, the, from the other night when um, Mike was saying, well, there might be some people that were tricked into coming or what have you. But I think people react to big names or big events more so than knocking on a door and saying let me tell you about Jesus okay um, great who else thinks it would work today there's a few others yeah um, when I was involved in a Billy Graham live link mission I think it was called um, it encouraged churches to go and speak to non-Christians and invite them to come and listen to Billy Graham so it was sort of a safe it was a safe form of evangelism, you know. I'm talking to you about Jesus because I want you to come and listen to him. But it, it opened the door, you know. Um, and I think, I think it would work as well. And I think it would work how he started off when he actually went into like a local high street and just stood there and started telling people about Jesus. Sure. So, Great. you know. Thank you for that contribution. Okay, how about those who think it wouldn't work? Put your hands up. You don't think it would work today. Um, some of you are not being brave now because you know I've got the microphone. Come on, be brave. Who would? Who thinks it wouldn't work? Um, yeah. Um, I just think people respond a lot better to actions and love um, rather than being talked to. They like, um, yeah, just the way we treat them. I think people respond a lot better to just being shown love. Sure. Okay. Fantastic. Who else didn't think it would work? Um, yeah. I think probably um, Billy Graham, he, he preached to a generation that had been through Sunday school and had dropped out, but um, to a sort of our generation, a lot of them are non-churched anyway, so there wouldn't be the same response. Great, okay, really interesting, yeah, was this gentleman here, yeah? Um, I think like you were saying this morning, I think a lot of people have got a, a sort of a hostility towards authority or institutions, and sort of people who proclaim to have truth, I think everyone... So these days, it's kind of on their own journey of truth, so they don't really like to be told what the truth is. So, perhaps not. Sure. Okay, anyone else got, um, stick your hand up, yeah, if you've got a point of view. 
find it quite interesting. I don't know about you. Our culture doesn't trust people. You stick a person up the front and you tell him that he's saying, as the gentleman over there said, about, oh, this is the truth. Show me, prove it to me. That's our culture, not then. Like, they came from World War II. They were very trusting, ironically. Wow. <laughs> None of you trust me. <laughs> Thanks a lot. <laughs> any, other, any other views on this, um, on this question? Yeah? No? That's a really interesting point, yeah? So is there a big difference between what happened on last night or the night before? I wasn't here. I was in a nice warm house in London. Yeah? Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, no, it's very true. And, and there is a sense of, you know, um, I, I'm always careful of... I mean, I, I do think... Uh, now my nose and I do think that there is a role for these these type of events, and, and particularly like Soul Survivor and stuff like that. I think it's a great, and I think. What, but what often happens at Soul Survivor is bought through relationship. People don't often come here on cold. It's a relationship that's built over many times, and you know it's great to have the gospel presented and stuff. But I do feel like um, in this country um, we do have our model is often attractional. So we attract you to come to us. Whereas, as I read the Bible, it's all about going to where people are at. It's about going to them. It's about communicating the love of Jesus. It's about the gospel being bigger, maybe, than the thing we've made it. And, you know, for me, um, culturally, I actually think in stadiums today, I'm not sure it would work. I think if you hired Wembley Stadium today, um, most people wouldn't know who Billy Graham is. And even the churches get round. Often what happens is it's full of Christians. And, and, and it could work. And, you know, people could get saved. I'm not saying it wouldn't. But I guess I struggle with um, the million pound budgets that are put into some of these events when actually something else could really um, go into something that is far more grassroots. I think the other interesting thing is that conversations are also happening in our media, in newspapers, in magazines, in TV programs, there's websites, there's blogs, there's social media. And I think the challenge for us as Christians is actually to use that really wisely. I think one of the things I've been uh, almost ashamed of is the way that Christians are capable of speaking to each other through social media. I mean, Christians slag each other off in blogs and on social media. You would never talk to that person if they were in the room that way. So why do it over the internet when a whole audience um, that isn't a Christian audience is listening to you? I think the way we communicate, you know, we've got to remember that every time you stand up, I'm very aware of this, um, having done a lot of work in the media and in churches and speaking at various festivals, I'm very aware that most of the time you're speaking to two different audiences. You're speaking to the audience in front of you and you're speaking to the virtual audience online that's going to put down the podcast and listen to what you're going to say and try and understand it as well but I think the challenge is if I can finish with this the challenge is is we need to just leave uh, this Christian subculture that everything was within the Christian subculture and we need to be salt and light right across um, at different spheres of society I've often said to people at the back of church there's often two maps this is true one map shows where all the missionaries are. Second map shows where all the home groups are. Wouldn't it be interesting if there was a third map? And in the third map shows where everyone works, the universities they go to, the um, spheres of influence they have, business, health, education, politics. And you start to map it out and you realise, my goodness, the people of God have a huge amount of influence and if we could learn to communicate the gospel, not just on a Sunday morning, but all through these different spheres, maybe transformation would be something that could really, really, really happen. Can the words we use week by week change the conversation that we are having in our culture? Can we hope a little bit more? 
I actually think sometimes our challenge isn't just to explain better, but to hope more. You know, to seek God for a compelling hope for our own lives and for our planet. So the conversation will be spiced with new possibilities. We live at a time in history where there's severe and global crisis has taken place amongst huge environmental challenges. We have the possibility of war in many countries. Hope is a commodity in small supply. But maybe we could talk about a hope that is completely and utterly compelling. I've, maybe if you've heard me speak again you've, and read any of my books, you'll know I, I have this illustration that sort of just keeps me alive, really. Is you look down outside and you see this grey, lifeless concrete. And I deal with stuff that is fairly depressing, to be honest. Fairly depressing in life. And if you concentrate just on the dark concrete, you'll just get depressed and end up giving up. But whenever there's a crack, there's a bit of grass straining to get through. And you can bend down and you can pick it up, but you can't take away its root. It will keep going. I want to be someone that doesn't just see the depressing stuff. I want to share in some of that stuff because that's reality for so many people's life. I also want to see the possibilities of change. So I don't think I'd take God anywhere. I think God's already there. I think God's in the slums. I think God's with the poor. I think God's in what they call the sink estates, which is a terrible way to call any estate in London. I think God's already there. I think God is doing stuff. And I want to go there and I want to join in with what he's doing and to see transformation happen. So I'm not into religion, but I am into loving and worshipping my God. Last video and then I'm going to pray and shut up. Great. Words and actions fused together. So I hope that you've been encouraged. I've tried to be um, a little bit thought-provoking in this seminar because like, I think sometimes we just come and we just sit and soak. I really wanted you to use your brains um, to engage with the topic. Um, but, you know, we don't just talk to our personal friends about Jesus. We talk about him. We talk about how he's changed us. We also talk to issues that society are facing. We try and paint a different picture to what society often thinks is going to happen. Um, it's interesting, just a quick, quick story. I was... Um, uh, on the BBC the other day with Vanessa Feltz, you know, Vanessa Feltz, and uh, she's quite a well-known BBC, I'm glad you find that funny, and uh, she basically, um, we were talking about gang culture, and we are talking about this, and we are talking about that, and, uh, and at the end of my interview, I just said to her, um, can I tell you a story? And uh, she was all right. And I, I told this story about how um, Archbishop Desmond Tutu came to XLP. I did say, I hope you caught that name, it dropped. <laughs> and... Uh, and I said, you know, the fact is, though, Vanessa, what Desmond Tutu said to all our young people is this, is that your past doesn't have to define your future. And she was silence. This was on, like, BBC radio. She was like, hmm, I don't know if I agree with that. Do I agree with that? I'm not sure I agree with that. And then she went, I'll tell you what, we're going to make the whole programme tomorrow about does your past have to define your future? And uh, I want you to ring up, I want you to tell your stories, I want you to... Uh, and then suddenly... A debate within the media is you transform the debate from one thing to another to actually what the critical issue is. Finish this quote, Mother Teresa. I feel called to serve individuals, to love each human being. My calling is not to judge the institutions. I'm not qualified to condemn anyone. I never think in terms of a crowd, but individual persons. If I thought in terms of crowds, I'd never begin my work. I believe in the personal touch of one-to-one.